coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing podcast. And then I saw this shark coming by. It was just a nurse shark, I think, and had these two big yellow-tailed jacks riding right on its tail. And they do that because as the shark spooks up the little bait fish, they'll swim right off and clean up the the smaller fish. So I threw a popper right over them, and this one just comes up and boom, just smacks it right on top of the water and ripped me out to my backing, you know, immediately. And that was Ryan Jarvis with a quick and powerful saltwater story. We are digging in deep on fly lines, both fresh and salt, today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. How you doing today? Thank you for swinging in and checking out the show. Before we get going, just want to remind you, if you have a show topic or idea you'd love us to dig into, maybe a person you'd love us to connect with, you can send me an email, uh, dave at wetflyswing.com or uh, wetflyswing on social, send a DM there as well. Rare Gear makes truly unique and innovative fishing gear to help you travel lighter, faster, and fish more. This telescoping fly rod doesn't need guides and packs up small enough to fit in the pocket of your backpack. This is likely the most unique rod you've seen this year, so you're going to have to check this one out for yourself. You can head over to raregear.com right now to check it out. That's R-E-Y-R gear.com. Check it out right now. Fishhounds Expeditions is putting together remote Alaskan wilderness trips for that trip of a lifetime. And this is not the lodge-style trip uh, that you hear a lot about. This is actually floating down a remote Alaska river, mousing for rainbows and camping out under the great Alaskan sky. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash fishhound right now to connect with Adam and the fishhound crew. That's fishhound, F-I-S-H-H-O-U-N-D. Right now, we've got some big stuff coming this year. Ryan Jarvis, a.k.a. Jarvis, is here from Monic Fly Lines to break down fly lines so you have a better feel for the types of lines out there and their uses. We find out how the different materials affect performance of a line, uh, what the clear dry line is all about uh, with Monic, and which lines and tips you should be using for certain specific species. We dig into a number today. This is another fun one, including one, uh, at least one tangent into the African uh, wilderness for a hunting trip. So without further ado, here he is, Jarvis from Monic.com. How's it going, Jarvis? It's going good, Dave. I appreciate you having me on. I'm psyched to be on the podcast, and uh, yeah, I'm excited. Nice, nice. Yeah, this is fun. I, I we've been chatting. This is one we've been chatting for a little while. We uh, it was pretty cool because uh, again, I would go back to these shows. Right, the cool thing about these shows, whether it's a um, you know kind of a a business type show or just uh, you know connecting with people that are buying products and things. I mean, IFTD. We connected for the you know kind of well. I guess it wasn't. Let's see now. I'm trying to try, backtrack. I guess in person, I connected with Dennis Isbister for the first time. And, uh, and then with you guys, we connected, you know, on that event, we had a beer there, right? How did IFTD go for you? Oh, IFTD was great. You know, and it was great to see you again. I, I think we had met previously at the fly fishing show or IFTD two years past, just because it had gotten canceled that one year. But, you know, IFTD That's was a right. great show. Um, always so much fun having, you know, the whole fishing, fly fishing community kind of come together and seeing new faces, you know, seeing good friends that you'd met before and, 
it was actually a really great time specifically because we had handed out a lot of samples just to guides and people in the industry and you know the previous show um and we just got amazing feedback from everybody and people were really loving the lines and had quite a few people coming up saying we voted for your line for you know new fly line for saltwater um category so we were super excited and just had a good time and um yeah like i said you really can't have more fun than having all the fly fishing community come together and sharing a beer and you know talking yep. fishing so always a good time exactly yeah that was, that was good so so cool. Yeah. Well, we're going to dig into a little bit on Monic fly lines and some of the cool stuff you have going. We're going to talk about that. Uh, before we get into that and a little bit of a, like a fly lines 101 uh, refresher, uh, talk about how you first got into fly fishing, then we'll take it into Monic. Yeah, totally. So fly fishing has kind of always been in my life. Actually growing up, my grandfather lived in Montana, um, just outside of Kalispell. And we would go out there in the summer and that was my first ever time being introduced to fly fishing. And just, I remember, I still remember to this day seeing my uncle out in the yard, just throwing these long, you know, tight loops and <laughs> casting. And I was just in awe and that kind of always stuck with me. And he showed me to cast there. And I remember we actually went out on a float and we were fly fishing and just throwing like a single dry fly. And I kept having the fish come and eat my dry fly. And I just keep farming and missing these hook sets and <laughs> i was so frustrated but <laughs> that just kept me coming back and wanting more so and then actually my dad um while we were on the trip he he got really into it as well and got a whole setup you know fly rod waders reel line and everything and so when we went back to new hampshire which is where i grew up he would i remember him being out in our driveway putting down a little foam pad and just like target practicing and we'd go down to the creek and stuff and um so it's always kind of been in my life and you know kind of in high school kind of got away from it a little bit with sports and everything and and then actually i came out to go to school at cu um i visited colorado to see my aunt who lived in Louisville actually and when I came to visit her and saw the campus in Boulder, I just, you know, kind of fell in love and was lucky enough to get an academic scholarship so I could afford to go there. And and then kind of being there and I was like, didn't really hit me till, you know, a couple months in that I was in one of the best trout fishing, fly fishing areas in the country. And it just kind of dawned on me. So I had my dad, my dad had kind of gotten away from the sport a little bit. So he actually sent me all of his gear so wow that was kind of it was his first setup and then it ended up turning into my first setup and it was a tfo project healing waters rod and um it was it was just a great time kind of relearning everything and actually was lucky enough to see that they had a like a free entry 101 course at rocky mountain anglers here in boulder so went into the shop and you know, they taught me a lot, um, just in that class and, you know, started learning more about nymphs and just everything. And it just kind of yeah. took off from there and really and took over my life. <laughs> like it's a, all I wanted to do every time I had a free moment, I would always be down at the Creek and just constantly getting out fly fishing. And so that was always kind of something that I loved. And, and then after college, um, I went back home to Maine for a little bit um, live with my dad in Maine and that was during the winter months and you know winters in Maine can be a little rough <laughs> yep. Yep. um so 
I was like, man, I, I miss the mountains. I miss the Colorado sunshine and more than anything. I mean, Maine has some great fishing as well. Uh, but I just, I missed the Colorado Rockies trout fishing. So came back here and was lucky enough to find a job at Monic fly lines, uh, jobs and one popped up as a, you know, a manufacturing assistant, um, slash office assistant for Monic fly lines. So the rest was kind of went from there. Wow. Just got lucky enough. I started at Monic and pretty soon after I left, the uh, the office manager, sorry, pretty soon after I started, the office manager actually, he, he quit. So they're like, do you want to kind of step in and in that role? And from there, it just, you know, it's been about a little over three years now. I've been working with Monic and it's, uh, it's, that's, that's also taken over my life, you know, <laughs> constantly yep. eat, breathe, sleep, fly fishing and specifically Monic. And it's just been such a great experience, um, you know, being able to work in an industry with something that you're so passionate about and you have such a love for it. It makes work a lot, a lot easier and more rewarding, I think. Yeah, that's a great story. So, yeah, so you're you're in it deep and, and now you've got, uh, you know, well, you've got everything going with Monty. I, I wanted to note uh, before we kind of head on, you, you mentioned you know, New Hampshire, Maine, and we recently had uh, Bob Romano on in episode 314. He talked about like the Rangeley area and just give, mm. gave us a little rundown on Maine. Um, did, have you done much fly fishing in the Northeast? Like, is there, can you compare the two between like Colorado and the Northeast? You know, I haven't, I, I haven't dug deep into it. You know, there, I've been to like the local streams around where I grew up in New Hampshire and then a few in Maine, but I've never quite made the trip up to Rangeley, which is something that's on my you know list for sure it's such a beautiful area i maine has a soft spot in my heart you know i i love it there it's just the way of life you know everybody's super friendly but also kind of keeps to themselves in a way um yeah which is just great and the the brook trout fishing in maine is is amazing i mean it's nowhere near what it used to be unfortunately but it's still you know if you go drive up far enough north um you can just you know, be completely secluded in wilderness and just find some amazing fishing opportunities. So it's definitely yeah. something that I'm going to make happen for sure. And then also I really want to chase some stripers there up in oh, kind of right. Portland area and something I yeah. haven't done yet. And that just looks like an amazing time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, this is good. And I want to dig into the fly lines a little bit here, but you mentioned something that was kind of interesting to me was the, uh, the academic scholarship. So, so talk about that. So you, you know, that sounds like a something, you know, and I, and I remember when I first, when we first met, I remember looking at you thinking like this guy, this guy's smarter than your average person out there. <laughs> talk about how you get, what is an academic, I mean, what is that? How do you get into that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I appreciate the praise. I'm, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I'm a genius or anything. <laughs> I guess I'll be, I'm pretty smart. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, um, like it's, uh, so going to a small school, um, you know, sports was, you know, one of my loves, I love to play basketball, but you know, oh, nice. it's like a division four. So it's, you're not going to get any sports scholarships coming out of there. Um, so I've always just, you know, excelled at school. It's something that came easy to me and, um, you know, was lucky enough to, have the grades and coming from out of state at CU, they offer a chancellor's scholarship, which is basically, um, you know, for students with, um, like a high GPA coming from out of state, um, as well as doing some extracurricular mm. stuff. Um, you know, gotcha. I did do a little bit with 
the math team kind of, you know, yeah. some side stuff and then, you know, having all the sports and stuff. So what's a high GPA? What's a, just uh, give us a rough, what's the cutoff limit? I forget the, I think it was like over 3.5. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So you're up in the upper echelon. Yeah. So I was, I mean, I was just super fortunate because, you know, CU is a very expensive school, so I wouldn't have been able to go without the scholarship. And when that all kind of came together, it, it all hit me like, oh man, this is, this is actually going to happen. I'm actually going to get to go to school in Boulder, Colorado. And that was just yep. an amazing experience. I, you know, I, I went in for environmental studies and uh, quickly learned that that was more just sort of kind of on the policy side, which didn't resonate as strongly with right. me. Um, but actually, I ended up taking an anthropology class and that just, you know, just stuck to me so much, mm. like learning about the human history and learning about different cultures. And so I ended up being an anthropology major with a geography minor. So something that I really enjoyed. I still love, you know, learning about new anthropology news today. And, um, one of the best experiences actually was going on a kind of like a study abroad, um, for an anthropology course where we actually went to Tanzania in Africa and spent a month just going from different cultures, um, you know, staying a week with the Maasai, um, the Hadza, wow. which the Hadza was by far my favorite experience so actually one of the last true hunter and gatherer societies left in the world oh wow how do you spell that uh h-a-d-z-a okay um it's also called hadzabe it's like the name of the culture um okay and it's so cool like you go out and just get to see them you know living off the land getting honey from the bees and you know drinking water out of the big baobab trees which are those trees with the Mm-hmm. massive trunks um and uh the coolest part about that was actually so we it was about a group of like seven or eight of us and one day we went out and just followed them along on a hike and everybody's kind of talking and chatting and i just felt like this isn't this isn't like the true hunting experience that you know i was <laughs> familiar with from my right. grandfather and uncle and so i just asked my teacher i said would it be all right if i just went out with uh with some of the Hadza members to go on a hunt. And she said, of course, or, you know, ask the, ask some of the guys in the tribe. And I actually just got to go out one-on-one with this, um, younger kid. He was probably, you know, my age, like 18 to 21. So he was younger and just went out one-on-one. His name was Mukalama. And, uh, that was just so cool, you know, being out in the African bush, you know, walking around and he's got his bow and arrow in his hand with all his, arrows that he's made from hand and there was it kind of hits it hits you at some parts where you're like oh man i'm i'm kind of out here in the bush like if something happened it'd be kind of kind of screwed a little bit (laughs) but (laughs) like it it was just an amazing experience and so i i really enjoy anthropology and i felt like it mixed really well kind of with fly fishing kind of understanding you know the the human history of fly fishing and just like how humans interact with nature Um, so that's Mm -hmm. something that's always really resonated with me and something that, you know, I continue to explore every time that I'm out fishing. Cause I think it's more, you know, not just about catching the fish, but kind of having that communication and connection with nature and yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's a great story. So the, the Hadza (laughs) was from him. I can't even pronounce his name, but what was one thing you remember you kind of learned from him that he taught you? Um, 
you know, it's hard because there was like a little bit of a like a language barrier. Oh, barrier. right. So they yeah. speak in a click language, actually, oh, which wow. is amazing to hear. Um, but they do know some of the Swahili, which is like the national language there. But it was just, I think, just seeing how calm he was, you know, being out in like that's his backyard. Yeah. And he oh, just, right. like seeing him just overlooking the whole landscape and uh, just what really hunting. Um, you know, they, they'll kill anything they see pretty much for food. Um, you know, they're talking big, big game potentially. Yep. So we did see like a small kudu, which is kind of like an antelope. And we got down really low, kind of crawled. And right before he was about to make the shot, this kudu took right off. Um, but primarily their biggest game that they get consistently is it's called like a pimby. And it's just kind of like a almost like a groundhog sort of that mm. lives on the rocks and stuff and probably like this like a size of i don't know like a huge prairie dog i guess is how yeah. i would describe it um so we got like two of those on the trip and it's crazy though just how much you know they've seen their landscape change um you oh, know speaking yeah. to the elders and stuff they you know they would they used to see rhinos giraffes everything and that was right. all f- fair game for them, you know, being um, indigenous to the area. And that's, you know, that's been their way of life for thousands and thousands of years. And they actually have, they carry around one poison tips arrow where they get the poison from a desert rose. Um, oh, wow. The one that's wrapped in leather, they're like, be careful, don't touch this. So you're like in the back huh. of your head. I'm like, all right, don't, don't fall on this arrow. Cause no kidding. Be, yeah. So. Wow. That's. That's but cool. I think just the biggest thing was just learning and seeing somebody that is truly in tune with nature and kind of just getting to experience that firsthand because yeah. that's their whole life there. Yeah, they're in touch. That's the really cool thing about this because, you know, you look at the day and age, like even, you know, just look at everybody here, right, in the U.S. or even around the world. I mean, we've lost so much of that, right, that mm-hmm. local communities and the languages and stuff and you know, for you to be able to have that interaction, right, which probably most people in the world will never have that, that's that's pretty that's pretty powerful. That's really cool you're able to do that. Yeah, I feel extremely lucky to have had that experience and I hope to, you know, be able to go back one day and you know, I love I love kind of the ecotourism side. I think it would be amazing to, you know, I love kind of the setups that they have down in um, you know, South America where they go fly fishing with the, you know, community members. They teach the community members to be yeah. fly fishing guys. Oh, like, like, uh, like indie fly. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, that stuff really resonated with me. So I thought it'd be cool to, you know, give back to the community and, you know, maybe like set up, you know, like a trip or something where you could go out and you could hunt with the Hadza and kind of yeah, maybe link in some right. fly fishing if I could, <laughs> obviously. Exactly. Exactly. Nice, nice. This is good. I can already tell this conversation is going to be amazing because, uh, you know, you keep bringing up topics that I'm interested in. And and one of them is basketball. So I'm not going to dig into basketball because that that was what that was kind of my sport. Maybe we'll leave that. We'll leave that till the end if we have time. But let's um, let's swing this and talk a little about lines because we want to dig into this for people. You know, the fly line thing is is really interesting because. We've talked a lot about it with spay lines and stuff because mm-hmm. people can get confused with all the different tips and, and stuff like that. But let's take this down to like a fly lines 101 to start this off really quick. And we could starting with trout lines is probably the easiest way. So we could talk about that a little bit. But Certainly. first, um, 
talk about what you guys have there from Monic. And, and do you guys cover like everything? Do you have like all species, all lines? Yeah, so um, we cover pretty much all applications. Um, a lot of our lines are extremely versatile that can be used, you know, across the board for trout, bass. Um, you know, you can fish it in the tropics. One great thing about being PVC free is that all of our lines can be fished in fresh and salt water and they're going to perform just as well. Um, and it's not going to degrade the material at all just because it's the PVC free doesn't have, doesn't need those specific additives to gear it towards salt versus fresh water. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that you will find though, is that some lines are more suited for warmer temperatures versus colder temperatures. Um, but we do offer everything across the board. The one area that we are lacking in and we're currently working on really expanding is our sinking lines. Um, oh, yeah. We Right now we only have one, which is just an intermediate clear. And what's hard about that is we use naturally buoyant plastics, which is great because they float very well. They don't need, you know, the glass beads, the floating agents, because they're just naturally buoyant materials. But on the flip side... To get those naturally buoyant materials to sink, it turns into a little bit of issue, little bit of an issue. <laughs> oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so this is cool. So there's a bunch of topics here to dig into as well. But let's um, so let's just start with uh, the the trout 101. So if somebody's coming in, the funny thing you always you, you know you think about like you think back in the day the double taper line. I think we mm-hmm. even joked about this mm-hmm. right when, when we were at the booth. You know the double taper versus wait for it. I mean, are is anybody buying like double tapers anymore? And do we or can we just like cancel that out? Like that's not something we need to think about. I mean, you'll get your handful of guys. Usually, you know the older generations that have been using a double taper since they started fly fishing and that's just what they love to use um but primarily you know we had to just discontinue our double taper line just because the demand wasn't there and you know it seems like everything's kind of moved more towards that obviously wait forward and now you're starting to get a lot of really um specific taper designs with a lot of different variations um but just kind of diving into sort of like the 101, which is actually one of our lines. We have the Monic 101, um, which is just going to be your basic trout line, uh, you know, five foot front taper, which is pretty standard. And then about a 20 foot belly on that with a 16 foot rear taper. So, you know, pretty good overall head design. It's something that's going to be, you know, it's going to turn over your dry flies easily, you know, still be able to roll cast it well turn over some, you know, indicator multi-nymph rigs without an issue. And then kind of that longer rear taper helps you, you know, on longer mends um, and kind of gives you a little bit more delicacy with the, you know, as it lays out on the water for those longer casts. But basically that's going to be your kind of standard traditional trout line, something with a, you know, sometimes you'll just see like a five foot front taper with like a 20 foot belly so just for anybody that might not be familiar with that, the the front taper like is where the the line begins to change in diameter. So if you think of your welded loop on the front where you connect your leader, it's gonna start to gradually grow in diameter, which is what helps that line roll over and turn over your leader along. And then your belly section is just gonna be the largest portion or sorry, the thickest portion of that line can which has, you know, the most of the mass is right there, which just allows that line to, you know, propel forward and then continue to roll over. And then your rear taper is going to be where it starts to go back down in diameter, which really helps you shoot line because, you know, as you get 
thinner and thinner and then you get to the thinnest part which is going to be your running line and that's just going to be a level section for the rest of the line and basically that kind of creates almost like a shooting head in a sense where you have all your mass up in the front of that line so as you you know make a cast and shoot that line out that's what propels it forward um and there's so much variation within that you can start you know changing you know specific feet you know create different diameters um you know thicknesses within the front taper and then it can taper back down or you could have kind of it just you know there's so much variation within there and it's it's really cool to dive in and see how much you know that taper really plays a role in you know both presentation and performance of the line that's right that's right man this is cool so and just to reiterate that basically on your line so from the start from your leader you know, you've got your leader and then the butt section attaches to the fly line. That's going to be the, that's going to be a thin section. And then it's going to build out wider and wider until it gets to the, the middle section. Right. Um, so you can think of like, you know, just a five weight line, that tip section is going to be, you know, relatively thick compared to like a say a leader material. Um, but yep. So it starts thin where you connect the line, say, you know, either with the nail knot or all of our lines mm-hmm. come with pre-welded loops. Um, okay. So it starts there and then it grows in diameter, which is what helps. It grows in diameter until you reach the belly. And that change in diameter is what helps um, kind of roll that leader over. So if you think of like your tapered leader, you know, you have 5X, say, on the tip of it, which is going to be the thinnest part. And then it grows into the thick butt section. And that's what turns that leader over. So it's very similar kind of to the fly line, but the fly line tapers can be a little, a lot more in depth. Yeah. In depth. So if somebody, just for the new person, there was a new person listening here that was thinking about, you know, getting a line, their first line or a new line. Um, you know, can you break it down? I guess, do you, I mean, for you guys, it sounds like the Monic 101 is the one to go with, but is there, you know, is it like nine foot five weights within different companies? Do you feel like there's all sorts of different you know, like there's a five foot tip, there's an eight foot tip. Is there a lot? Because I know with space stuff, there is a lot of variation, but do you find that or is a standard nine foot five weight line or a, not nine foot, but like a five weight line going to be pretty standard across uh, companies? Yeah, it's going to, uh, the five weight line is going to be, you know, pretty standard just because of, you know, the nine foot five weight being the staple rod for, you know, trout fishermen getting, getting started specifically. And, you know, right now with rods, there's such a huge variation in just the action of the rod and kind of the grain weights that it takes to actually load that rod. Um, so you'll see a lot of fly lines on the market are actually really heavily overweighted. Um, you know, they can be, you know, we try to stick as close as possible to the after weighting standards just to be as transparent. Um, but, you know, with so many people being more used to and having more familiarity with it, casting a heavier line, if you have a line that is, you know, lighter than that, it can feel like it's not loading your rod properly and you can think the line's not casting well when in actuality it's just you need a heavier line to load that rod. So, you know, and I think especially for beginner fly casters, you know, it never hurts to kind of have that a little bit heavier line just as you begin, just because it's going to help you feel that rod load. You're going to get a better, you know, kind of action out of that rod, which I think will slow down your your casting stroke and you can start to really feel, um, you know, the dynamics of the cast. So, you know, I always say like, I have people constantly reaching out about, you know, which line weight to pair with their rod. Um, and it's hard because a lot of the rod manufacturers don't necessarily list off, 
the specific grain weight range that that rod can say handle um, or excel at. Gotcha. Um, so if you do, if you are starting with, you know, look up the action of your rod. Um, you know, if it's a fast action rod, I definitely suggest, you know, uplining one size, say put a six yep. weight line on that five weight rod. If it's a fast rod or, you know, if it's medium, medium fast, you know, I think you no more true to weight size, like a, a five for that would be good. And we do about a half size heavy on most of our lines just to kind of help compensate for, you know, the so much of the lines on the market being heavily overweighted. Um, gotcha. But we like to, you know, we want to stick as close to true as possible just because, um, you know, a lot of people do really enjoy the more true to feel lines for their rods, whether that be, you know, that's just how they prefer. They like the feel of the way it casts. And then as you get into, you know, the saltwater world and people making longer casts and longer shots, then you really see the advantages of having a more true to line weight just because when you're saying when you're casting 60, 70, 80 feet, um, you know, having that lighter line is going to allow that line to stay aerialized, you know, fly through All the right. air with a lot easier. It's going to cause, yep. you know, once you have that casting down, then you realize that your lighter line is less effort to cast. Um, you know, it creates a better, you know, landing and presentation on top of the water because the more weight, the more it's going to slap down. Um, but there's so much variation within fly lines and it fly rods it, it, it really comes down to a lot of preference um but i would say if you're starting out um you know look at the action of your rod if it's a fast rod definitely you know go up a size and even if it's you know medium medium fast i think for beginner casters that overweighted the heavier line makes it a little bit easier as you as you learn and then from there you can go and find your own preferences see what you prefer and and so forth yeah, yeah, no, that's a great, and that's a great big topic, Roy. When you think about the weighting, because that's a good question. You know, like on the rods, why not just put the grain weight on the rod, right? It seems mm. like that would be an easier way to make sure, even to get away from. I mean, because couldn't you just forget about almost the line? Well, I don't know if you can forget about the line weight, but if you knew the grain weight, if somebody told you the grain weight of the rod, you could tell them what what line to put on, right? Oh yeah, it makes my life ten times easier. You know, I, I wish that the rods all listed the grain weights that were. You know, obviously it's going to be a range because the yeah the the rods can handle a, a variety. But just having that that knowledge of the grain weight makes things so much easier when you're trying to match a line to that rod. Um, and it's so hard because you know even with some of the fly lines out on the market, you can't even figure out what grains they are because they don't list it sometimes and. That makes it hard for somebody that says, you know, I'm casting this line. I love the way it casts on my rod. And I, and I go, perfect. You know, do you know the grain weight of that line? And that's the best way that I can get you set up with a line that's going to, yep. you know, have the same feel and load your rod the way that you're used to. There you go. Yeah, no, that's a good talk. Maybe we can dig into that one at a later point as well. And you mentioned the AFTA standard. There's some things we we won't dig in deep because it gets a little technical. But that is a great tip on the fast action, you know, if you can – you know, verify it's a fast action rod. And how would you, um, and how would somebody verify if their rod is fast versus medium versus slow action? Um, so all the manufacturers seem to do a great job at listing that in the description of their rods. It's a, a mm. crucial part of information that I think is a must when you're describing a rod. Um, yeah. You know, 
and if you can you know kind of the newer carbon fiber rods are coming out you can always kind of assume they're more on the fast side um whereas you know you can think of say like a fiberglass rod is going to be a slow action or a bamboo and then you get you know a fair amount that you know will be listed as more of a medium medium fast and um you know, so I, I would say you can always look at the, the rod manufacturer's website for the details of that rod, and 99 to 100% of the time, it'll list the action of the rod. Yeah, list action. Okay, good. And and we just kind of touched on, you know, the, the, the five-way, because that's kind of your, your middle of the road. But like you said, if this could be a four-way, this could be a six-way, seven-way. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, but that thing holds true. If you're using a fast-action rod, if it's a, a nine-foot, you know, three weight, then you probably would want to go with maybe a four weight. So it would actually, just because everybody's going a little bit heavier. Well, it's, it's an interesting, I think that's one question, right? I guess maybe you can answer that. Is that, is that true? Is that pretty much true across all weights? You know, it's interesting. It seems like for the longest time, there was this huge direction of overweighting the lines, um, you know, making it easier to like punch a cast and kind of feel that rod load but i've been seeing more and more people coming back looking for more of that true to weight feel so it's like a there's a good mix within you know the industry and fly fishing community of what they prefer um you know i like to fish kind of for trout specifically i like more of a i have a fiberglass rod that i love to cast and i love you know kind of more of that medium fast you know sometimes those really fast action rods are great for you know they're great for throwing streamers they're great for, you know, good roll casts with like a indicator heavy multi-nymph rig. Like that faster action rod is going to give you that more punching power with the backbone to turn that stuff over with a lot more ease. Um, whereas, you know, the slower action rods, it takes a little bit more oomph and technical capability just with, you know, casting to turn over some of that heavier stuff. But, you know, it's really hard to beat throwing a dry dropper on a on a glass rod and you know just it it's just a lot of at least for me yeah. you know it's a lot of fun so yeah. it's definitely a, a good mix and i think as you get into the sport you'll find your own preferences and what you prefer um so with over 40 years of experience in coffee joe and the anglers team roast a full range of coffees with their one major goal you know it delivering excellent coffee to every single angler Responsibly sourced from farms using sustainable growing practices, you can rest easy knowing you are doing your part. The Artist Series also, uh, they have the Artist Series going on right now. One dollar of each sale goes to Casting for Recovery. They have a blend for every taste, a dry dropper on the go, bag option, a roast sampler. You can check out Anglers right now. It's time to step up to better coffee and more impact for the fish that we know and love. Check out anglers, wetflyswing.com slash anglers. That's A-N-G-L-E-R-S to get a bag of greatness today. That's anglers right now. Well, let's talk just uh, just kind of briefly uh, dig in because we're not going to get super technical on this, but you've mentioned a couple of things, the PVC free and, and, you know, the clear line and stuff. Talk a little about, just give us the, you know, the background on the line, the actual physical part of the line. I mean, what, what is, describe that for somebody who's never heard of what a line is made of. Yeah, of course. So, you know, for the longest time and the majority of most fly lines on the market are made out of PVC vinyl material. Um, so if you think of like a great way I like to describe it is if you think of like a PVC pipe, that's 
generally kind of the starting material. Um, and then for the vinyl lines, you add different plasticizers, which are different chemicals to kind of react with that vinyl to make it, you know, softer, more flexible, you know, which you would do for more of like a trout, cold water conditions. Whereas you could add also different plasticizers that are going to make it stiffer and make it more resistant to say like salt water and warm weather. Um, whereas our lines are PVC free. So we use naturally buoyant plastics. Um, we use a whole range of, you know, both PUs and PEs and copolymers. And for anybody listening, PUs like polyurethane, a PE would be like polyethylene, a great variety of plastics. Um, so, so yeah. So what are, um, you know, so describe on the fly line itself, just describe, you mentioned the PVC free and sort of, so somebody who doesn't know much about lines, what are lines could they be made of out there? Certainly. So the majority of fly lines on the market have always been made from vinyl. Um, and for vinyl, uh, it's just a different kind of plastic material. Um, and then we also have for Monic and then for say things like airflow would be the other PVC free, um, use a mix of different plastic materials, like say, um, PEs and PUs and other copolymers, which is basically just, you know, you can think of polyethylene or polyurethane. So it's a wide variety um, that we use specifically for the actual coating itself, um, compared to say a, a traditional vinyl line, which is what the the markets where the fly lines originally were started were made with uh, a vinyl resin plastic. And then so with the fly line, you have a core material, you know, which can range from a say like a monofilament, mono like a mono core, and then you can also have a wide range of different braided cores, like say dacron or nylon and that all that comes into play and gives you variability for how that line is going to perform you know especially for how it performs in the heat versus the cold as well um so a lot of the lines on the market like i said are are vinyl resins and for that you can think of kind of like a pvc pipe is kind of a similar vinyl resin and then to make that vinyl you know react in different ways they add different plasticizers which would be you know different chemical additives to help change the properties of that vinyl to say make it softer and more supple or more you know rigid and stiff for say like saltwater applications versus freshwater um but for us it's great you know being pvc free and using more naturally buoyant plastics and then the materials that we do use you don't have to add those additives to them which allows you for a little bit more versatile line a line that's going to be more durable as well because over time those plasticizers eventually will leach out and leave that line you know which one um you know breaks down your line a lot faster you start to see those voids and cracks in the line yeah and then also for like say floating agents like glass beads um, you know, things like that. When you step on a line that has glass beads in it, you're eventually, you're going to crush those glass beads and you're going to lose that floatability. Um, so by kind of having more of like a, I guess you could think of it more like a bare bones recipe with less, less things added. That means it's, you know, it doesn't have those certain materials that are going to leach out and leave over time, which affects mm-hmm. the performance. So our lines, you know, last a lot longer, they're more durable and, you know, they're a little bit more environmentally friendly as well, just because, you know, those additives can leach into the water systems. 
Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So, so like you're saying, it's basically a lot of the lines out there in the past or even currently are, are kind of vinyl and they have their like PVC essentially. And then, but you're saying you guys make yours with a different type of, it's not PVC, it's more like a just different type of plastic, different type. Describe that, the plastic you guys are using. Or, or yeah, I guess, so, is it just you guys in air, airflow or is there other people doing this? Uh, as far as I know, it's just ourselves and airflow that are making pvc free fly lines and i i believe that airflow uses you know i can't speak on them specifically yeah. but you know they use you know a lot of pu's like polyurethane um you know and then we use a wide range of both both pu's as well as pe's which would be like polyethylene as well as a mix of kind of some other copolymers um which is just you know kind of a, a mixture of of plastic materials um so you know, our lines are extremely unique in that way because it's something that, you know, nobody else is, has that same sort of recipe in the, the materials that we're using. So it's extremely unique. And that gives us, you know, a lot of advantages. And one specifically is actually our, you know, our clear line because it's without having any of those additives and using a naturally buoyant plastic, you're able to create a line that is essentially transparent and it still floats very well and so forth. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the clear line. That was something I wanted to dig into. So I, well, I think we got a good little summary there. That's basically pretty straightforward. If we want to dig in, we can go deeper there. But it's like it's the PVC stuff versus the, you know, the PUs, the PEs on the lines. And then and then, like you said, this allows you to create a clear line, which you don't see. You know, you do see the clear intermediate stuff like for, you know, the lakes, but you don't mm-hmm. see too many of the dry, the, the actual lines for streams being clear. Why, why is a, a clear line good? And then why do most, why are most lines not clear? So kind of just like you said, you know, um, the materials that those other companies are using, they can make the clear tip, but it's going to sink. That's where they're going to have that intermediate. Um, but because mm. we use those specific naturally buoyant materials, we can create that clear line that floats. Um, and it's just been, you know, it's always been a huge favorite of many anglers in the saltwater world. Um, you know, our lines have been used by, you know, tournament winners for, you know, different tarpon tournaments as well as, um, you know, permit. It's always been a huge favorite for the saltwater specifically just because you get such a better advantage with that stealth of a clear line on your side you know when the, mm. you're dealing with fish that are extremely spooky or high pressured and they start to see a lot of fly lines or you know even if they're not seeing fly lines they have you know aerial predators and they're you know very skittish um which is you know you see a lot more kind of in the saltwater world so that clear line you know, even when it hits, say you make a sloppy cast and it smacks down on the water, that fish is going to spook, you know, just from the impact. But then when they look up to look around for predators and threats, they can't yep. see that clear line. So then they can oh, wow. quick, quickly switch back into feeling comfortable and get back into that feeding mode. So, you know, we've had people using the clear lines for, you know, tarpon, permit and bonefish and just absolutely swearing by, you know, the effects and the advantages of having that clear gotcha. line. And it's been really cool to see, actually, I've had a lot more, you know, recently starting to pick up using the clear lines for trout. Um, you know, I love fishing the clear lines here in Colorado in the summer months for trout, just because of how high pressure, you know, these fish get, um, you know, they start to see fly lines every day and they associate that fly line with a, 
you know, a bad experience of getting yanked out of the water by their lip. (laughs) So when you start to use that clear line, those fish are a little bit more relaxed. You're not going to spook as many, especially in crystal clear, you know, water conditions where the visibility is really high. Um, So that clear line gives you a lot of advantages. And another great thing is with that clear line, you can really shorten up your leader system because the leader system they use very long leaders to kind of help protect from lining that fish. Yeah. So you could use like a 14 foot leader on like a tiny, you know, stream that's crystal clear just so you don't spook those fish with your line. But then having the clear tip or the full clear line gives you such a great advantage because especially on windy days, you know, you don't want to be throwing a 12, 14 foot leader. Um, so you can really shorten up that leader, still have all the stealth and, you know, it just it's going to make your presentation better without, you know, a shorter leader. Um, and you're going to have, you know, a lot more fish to the net and spook a lot less fish. I actually had a, a great conversation with a customer the other day who was he was out fishing in Colorado and he was out with his buddies and they all had the same. He said they all had the same flies rigged up and his friends were catching a few, but he was just cleaning them up and all his friends came over to him like, what are we doing wrong? Like, what, what, what's going <laughs> on? And he's like, well, I did just get this Henley phantom tip the other day, and which is our 15-foot clear tip. And he oh, was yeah. just you know, elated with, you know, seeing the results firsthand. So that's go. the kind of stuff that, you know, makes me super happy. And, you know, we're all super passionate about, you know, fly fishing in general at Monic. And we really just want to make, you know, the best fly lines possible for the people to go out and really enjoy themselves. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that makes a lot of sense with the line. I mean, just like you're saying, you know, shorter leaders, uh, is easier, can be easier. Right. And then also, I could also see it if you're fishing like up, you know, casting upstream, a dry fly, you know, where you, mm-hmm. you're hitting the spot, but then your line below that, you might be spooking fish, but with a clear line, you could just lay all your line on the water, cast upstream and you're right. You could probably hit more fish as you go down towards you. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, I think especially kind of, as we saw the, the, fly fishing industry really saw a boom throughout in the whole outdoor industry through covid you know a lot of people getting back outdoors so you know which i love to see um but it also means you know more angler pressure for those fisheries that we do all enjoy going to um so it's like why not have every advantage you can on your side you know to have a good day exactly do you guys have uh so would you say I mean, it sounds like, yeah, salt, obviously, you could hear the advantages there. Do you, you know, as far as your customers, are you kind of like an equal 50-50 fresh salt, or you, do you lean more towards one or the other? You know, it's I'd say it's a little bit more like 60-40 salt versus fresh. Um, and it's we're starting to see a lot more traction with our freshwater lines, trout trout-specific lines. And it's really just because Monic, when it was started, um, it just immediately was grabbed a hold by the saltwater community just because of the specific application for you know if you're fishing to those big schools of tarpon rolling through you get a lot more hookups and a lot less um you know you don't spook yeah. those fishes easily refusals yep so maybe you could just take us there for a little bit because we haven't gone down that track um as mm-hmm. far as the um the founding story like can you do you know that history can you give us a little bit of a quick little snippet on on the history of monic yeah of course um it's actually so it's perfect because we basically got our start with the clear floating line and bob goodale the owner of the company uh he was a chemical engineer by trade and you know he worked in a variety of different fields and 
you know, as he got older, he, you know, he always loved fly fishing and about 20, it's a little over 20 years ago. So the company started in 1995. Um, Mm -hmm. but so like two years leading up to before the company was starting, he was out actually fishing in Belize for bonefish and permit. And it was a super windy day as it always tends to be when you're fishing in the salt and yeah. He actually had a guide who was, you know, he was like, you got to use this 14 foot leader, you know, so you don't spook the fish so you can actually catch these fish. And Bob's just, you know, Bob was having a hard time, you know, very frustrating time trying to punch that lead, turn that leader over. And, you know, he thought to himself, you know, being a chemical engineer, just why don't we just make the fly line clear? And that was kind of the birth of Monic. And so he invented the first ever clear floating line um you know patented it and he's been you know that's kind of been monic's kind of claim to fame if you will and yeah some we've you know obviously we've really continuously improved upon the clear line to make it as best as possible um you know because the more the more you do it the more you learn about you know what what we can improve upon you know a lot of the older lines were had a lot of issues with memory and things of that nature they were a little bit stiffer um, and then, you know, just within kind of like the past seven, eight years, we actually worked with a, a company to help develop this, you know, proprietary core material, which we call the monocore, which you can find on our Henley series. And mm-hmm. it has a, a great, you know, a good amount of stretch to it, um, which keeps it extremely supple. You don't have to deal with, you know, a rat's nest in your line and it, mm-hmm. it just, it's a very supple line. And then also on the flip side, you know, when you're fighting a, you know, hundred pound tarpon, having that stretch in your line actually really helps protect that, keeping that hook implanted in the fish. Because when you, if you picture that fish coming up and, you know, doing those huge, massive head shakes, jumping out of the water, that whole line can stretch with those head shakes, which, you know, really eliminates a lot of, you know, the leader line snapping, as well as, you know, the hook just getting popped out. So a lot of guys really do enjoy that stretch, um, and it, it keeps it really supple. So you can even fish that Henley line in, you know, colder conditions um, because it has, you know, very supple core material. And, you know, I've fished it in, like, 35-degree weather, and, you know, it'll get, you know, some memory off the reel, just like any mm-hmm. line would in that situation. But the nice thing is is you can just hand-stretch it, and it just – it becomes lifeless again. Um, oh, wow. So that's been, that's right. you know, a, a huge favorite. And then just recently we came out with a new version of our phantom tip with species specific tapers for saltwater applications. And we use a new core material um, for those new phantom tips. And then we also have our saltwater master with those tapers. Um, and that actually uses what we call our sensacore, which is just a little bit more added stiffness because like I was saying earlier, you know, there's such a variety of anglers in the world that prefer different things. Some people like the stretch, some people don't like the mm, stretch. Right. So this is just another option to give to those people that, you know, want some more sensitivity, you know, which can make, you know, on the flip side that makes the hook sets, you know, a little bit more immediate as there's no, there's not much energy lost throughout yeah. that line as you go for that strip set. Um, and then it also, you know, in those extreme heats, the stiffer core material kind of helps keep that line, you know, I guess uniform. It doesn't, doesn't, it just stays rigid enough that it's not going to have any memory, but it's going to be stiff enough that it, you know, continues to perform in a hundred plus degrees. And 
you know, the Henley will as well, but you, you know, it's just a, just options and variety for, for different scenarios and things like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. How long uh, typically, and I know it's probably different versus salt versus fresh, but somebody buys a line, you know, one of your lines or, or it's just in general. I mean, how long should a, a line be expected to last uh, for somebody? Um, so, it, I mean, it depends on how much you're fishing it. Um, but you know, with a, I've, it's funny you say that cause I actually about a week, about a month ago, I had a customer who just wanted to show me the Henley or it wasn't a Henley. It was an older clear, but the clear line that he'd been fishing for 20 years. Oh, wow. And it lasted that long. Um, you know, it was, it was yellow now just from the UV damage, but yeah, you know, the lines are extremely durable. Um, and we always guarantee all of our lines for a full year, you know, no matter how much you're fishing, if anything ever comes up with the line or you find that it, you know, maybe got stuck around a rock or some coral and delaminated a mm. section. Um, you know, if it's within the first year of buying it, like we'll replace it for you. No questions asked. And yeah, cause we really gotcha. want to take care of our customers. And, you know, I think being able to have a durable line the line that, you know, is going to continue to perform well, as long as, you know, you once in a while clean that line, it's just, you know, you can easily get two, three, four years out of the line. Two, three, four years. Yeah, there you go. If not more, or you could be the guy sending me a 20-year-old line. Yeah, or the 20-year-old <laughs> line, exactly. I'm thinking, you know, I'm kind of thinking like, you know, you're the, uh, you know, if you're the person that's, uh, you know, maybe you're getting out a couple times, doing a couple, you know, a couple trips per month, something like that. You know, maybe you're doing like 20 trips per year, that range. You should be able to get, you know, you're going to definitely get like five, three, four or five years out of that line pretty easy. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. And we really like to, you know, stand behind that durability. Like I said, like if anything comes up, you know, we'll, we'll change it out. You know, we're really proud ourselves on customer service as well, because we want to make a line that, you know, is going to perform and make you have a great day out in the water. Like there's nothing worse than going out and having your gear fail on you. And, you know, of course it's going to happen. Um, you know, the rare event that, you know, maybe something happened to the line but you know the biggest thing for us is making sure everybody's enjoying the line having a good lifespan out of that line like i love to suggest for you know beginners like we were kind of talking about earlier like our monic 101 line the basic trout line we sell it for 54.99 so something that is going to be you know a lower price point that you know is be affordable to a lot of people compared to some of the higher prices and with that line, you're getting something that's going to last you, you know, more than, you know, a year, two years, three years. And, you know, there's nothing worse than starting out and you get this line that, you know, and then all of a sudden it falls apart on you or stops floating. Right. And, and then it's going to turn you off from, you know, maybe fly fishing. And so, like, yeah, I love I love suggesting that line to any beginners out there just because, of you know, the durability is going to allow you to fish that line time and time again without any issues and it's going to help improve that learning curve as well um yeah but yeah no really proud ourselves on making sure everybody's having a good time and enjoying the product is that the difference between if you say you know you've got a lot of different types of lines i think are yours are yours manufactured in the u.s yep so everything we make is made right here in boulder colorado in the shop Um, and we try to source as many of our materials from the states as we can you know, obviously that can get a little bit tricky with, you know, different plastics and other things of that nature. But, 
you know, we we do our best to source everything, you know, that we can within the States. And we really pride ourselves on being a completely American-made fly line. Like start to finish, everything is, you know, if you get a Monic line, everything was put together, assembled, you know, the line is manufactured, you know, like 20 feet from where I might, I'll spool them up for you. All right. So it's a completely American made fly line. And I don't think there's many other companies that can, can say the same. That's cool. So, so that's awesome. And, and when you think about, let's take it back to that person again. So maybe they've, you know, you've got the beginner, but then you've also got the person that maybe has a few rods, you know, they've got a, mm-hmm. whatever, a four weight, a six weight, an eight weight. If they're going and they want to check out the Monic lines or maybe just lines in general, is it just as easy? Like we were talking before, if you got the eight weight, you know, you kind of, maybe if it's fast, then you, you go for a nine weight Monic line or anything else to know when somebody's choosing a line here? Um, yeah, so we, I mean, we have a great variety of lines for, you know, a multitude of applications. And like I was saying before, we're extremely transparent with those grain weights. So if you click on any of the lines on the website and you scroll to the bottom, you'll see a chart that specifically lays out those grain weights for each line, which gives you a good starting point to know, you know, if you have a general idea of say a line that you like the way it performed on that rod in the past. Um, but otherwise, you know, kind of looking through all the lines it might get a little overwhelming just because of if you're not sure of which application you might need or kind of the pros and cons of a specific you know one line i'm thinking of in general is our skyline plus which is made on a a gel spun core which is basically zero stretch you know phenomenal bass line streamer line um you know people love that line for tarpon as well um so I guess, you know, I like to always say, like, if you have any questions, just reach out to me. You know, there's a chat box right there on the website. You know, I'll get those directly. Um, You know, always feel free to give us a call. Like, I love walking people through the products, um, you know. And then I think a lot of people, you know, can get a little overwhelmed by the information listed there. Um, But we put everything right there on the website. You know, it's like, try to make it as easy as possible for somebody to understand the applications and where this line's going to excel at. Um, but I love talking to customers and that's one of my favorite parts of the job is being able to help somebody out, get the perfect line for what they want and what they need and just have an amazing yeah. time fishing that's that right. line. So if you ever have any questions, yeah, just give us a call and I'm happy to help. Yeah. That's always a good tip is to call either, yeah, you guys or even your, yeah, your local fly shop or whatever. And yeah, and, and dig into that. Um, this is cool. So, so that makes sense there. And let's just take it to a, let's do a couple examples. Let's say I have a, um, you know, a four weight rod, um, like a, a nine foot four weight. And I believe, I believe it's a fast action rod, right? So mm-hmm. I believe it's a fast action. So you're saying if I came in, I could just, you know, if I was going to grab a line, I might grab a, like maybe a five weight, right? That one of your lines, like maybe the five weight, the one one is that, would that be the line for trout? Yeah, that would be perfect. You know, I would definitely, with that fast action rod, I, I tend to suggest, you know, going with that upline one size is it's just going to help load that faster rod even better. The one, you know, if you're, if you're looking to, you know, get sort of the basic trout set up, then the one is a perfect line, you know, it's going to do everything well. Um, and then the next step up from that would be like our icicle line, which is similar in construction so both of those lines can be fished year round they're extremely supple they've got a braided nylon core with a very supple coating 
material on top with our slickening agent built in as well. So it's a line that you can, you know, I've fished that year round here in Colorado. Um, and then the difference, the key difference with the icicle is it has a little bit more of an advanced taper. It's what mm. we call our javelin taper. So it's a little bit more aggressive than the, the basic kind of standard trout taper. So it's going to do really well at, you know, farther roll casts. It's going to do really well at turning over those indicator multi-nymph rigs. Throwing streamers is going to be a lot easier with that more aggressive style taper. Um, but at the same time, you can obviously still turn over and have a delicate presentation with a dry fly, dry dropper. Right. Um, you might just lengthen the leader up a little yep. bit to get some more of that delicacy. But that's kind of our most popular trout line just due to its versatility. And that taper is it, the more aggressive taper is really nice, especially, you know, dealing with some of the windy days here in Colorado. Um, you know, I fish a lot of tight stream creeks as well. So having that more aggressive front end of that taper, you only need about four or five feet of line out of the tip of your rod. And you can already start to feel that mass loading your right. rod, making quick, you know, quick shots a lot easier. That's you know. really cool. Yeah. So I'd say I usually always recommend that one, but if you know, you're just starting out, you're not sure what you like yet. Like you really can't beat a $55 american-made fly line at the 101 you yeah know, the 101 yeah. it's just going to last forever it's going to do everything well but if you're really trying to excel with the trout fishing and you want it something that is going to give you a little bit more advantage on the water then for you know 79.99 you can get the icicle line and uh have a little bit easier time turning over some of those you know more advanced rigs Togan's Fly Shop, providing superior quality products at an affordable price. I want you to check out the Togan's YouTube channel right now if you're interested in connecting with some uh, fly patterns. They've got a bunch of stuff on still water, but they've got a mix of fly tires from around the world that are doing some good stuff on the Togan's channel. Uh, they've got you covered for sure if you're looking for in-house products. Uh, fly time materials, uh, leading brands that you know and trust. The cool thing is right now, They've expanded, and for a number of years, they've been providing mostly uh, gear around fly tying and focused with still water, but they've expanded out. Now they have rods, reels, lines, and a bunch of other uh, gear to fill the satchel. So when you're heading out to that next big trip and you need to make that purchase, you can head over to Togans, grab your fly tying materials, and pick up the other necessary pieces of equipment. Since 2005, Tokens has been doing it over delivering on price and customer service. And uh, and now it's time for you to check out Tokens for yourself. Wetflyswing.com slash Tokens, T-O-G-E-N-S. You support this podcast by clicking over through Tokens online right now. Then on, uh, you know, if we talk just quickly here, like on, um, you know, species wise, right? So we're talking kind of trout, but you've got other species out there. If you had to say, you know, what are your, you know, what are the most common species you guys have fly lines for? Do you, do you have like a few that are maybe a, you know, five or 10 that are kind of the, the most, the ones you hear about the most other than trout? Yeah, definitely. So I like, like I was saying with, you know, getting our start with the clear line, We've always been a huge favorite in the saltwater world. Um, like everything, tarpon, like is that for all saltwater species? Yeah, like yeah, pretty much for all saltwater species, but they've been extremely popular for tarpon and permit and bonefish specifically. Yeah. Those tend to be the 
the biggest you know names of species that people love to chase in in that kind of in the salt world so we've actually just come out with a species specific taper for all three of those species um but we've got a tarpon taper and we offer tarpon taper a permit taper and a bonefish taper um they all have you know slight variations which make them excel a little bit better for you know chasing those exact species and we sent those out to you know all of our guides that you know are hardened anglers that that's their bread and butter they love to chase those specific fish and you know through like a two years of just kind of going back and forth we can tweak it here and tweak it here just to make it the best possible line um but we offer all those in both a phantom tip which is going to be the 15 feet clear tip and then also our saltwater master series which is actually going to have the slickening agent built in um so when you add the slickening agent to the clears you kind of lose that clarity so that's a little bit of a trade-off when fishing a clear line it's not going to be quite as slick as say a traditional line because with those colored lines you can build in the slickening agent and that slickening agent is built right into the line it's not like a top coat or anything like Mm. that so it's going to continue to stay slick throughout the lifespan of the line Um, so we just want to offer that those options to people that you know might not necessarily want to fish the clear you know it's definitely a little bit of a difference oh right fishing a clear line so a slicker line is going to usually be better. Yeah, you know, like a slicker line is going to it's going to shoot better, it's going to cast, you know, a little bit farther, easier, you know, cuz it's a, you know, a little bit more slick um and it's also going to, you know, keep that line, you know, casting well even as it gets dirty or it starts to pick up salt or anything like that. And the nice thing yeah. with the slickening agent actually is it helps repel that salt, dirt and gunk build up on the line. And some people just really love, you know, having a slick line. Like it just shoots really nice, so on. Mm. And, uh, whereas on the flip side, you have somebody that's, you know, a diehard permit angler or, you know, they chase permit every single year and you want every single advantage you can get to get one of the spookiest fish on the planet, then you're going to want that clear line um, just because it's right. going to really up your odds when you do get that shot at, say, the fish of a lifetime. Yeah, the chances of you spooking that fish are greatly diminished, and same for tarpon and bonefish as well. And gotcha. It was actually really cool. I was just on a trip in the Bahamas chasing bonefish, and it's just amazing to see firsthand. You know, somebody would throw out a colored line. You know, those fish would all spook and scatter, throw out that clear line, and like it's pretty pretty skinny water you're fishing to it for these fish. So when that uh-huh. clear line lays out obviously it makes a little disturbance on the top of the water so they kind of spook just a little bit from that disturbance but then they immediately swing right back around and will eat the shrimp pattern or crab pattern that you're throwing no questions asked yeah this is the trip you were up there with uh dennis uh, with isbister yeah yeah it was an amazing time so always great time hanging out with dennis and doing yeah. some content for monic and wild fish oh, wild cool. places and it's just yeah. you know when you see it firsthand, it, you know, you immediately become a believer in the clear. And I love talking to customers that, you know, might be a little hesitant at first going with the clear line, but then they try it and they'll see like a scenario like that. And they just, you know, it, it truly does make a big difference when fishing to the fish that are, spooky, yeah. you know, highly pressured right, um, and crystal clear water conditions. So you guys put together, um, you guys put together a show down there. Was this like a, 
Um, is that going to be coming out here? I'm not sure how Dennis does it, but you, you were just doing a Bahamas show episode. Yeah, so Dennis, he might pull a couple episodes out of that just because there was so much great action going on. Oh, yeah. Um, but basically, he runs the Wild Fish, Wild Places TV show, which you can catch on the Outdoor Channel as well as the Fishing Network. And then it's also mm-hmm. available on Amazon. Um, and I think it might be coming to Netflix soon as well. But oh, wow. so we work with Dennis and he helps, you know, run the social media, um, you know, provide us with some content from those trips. And, and then I was lucky enough to be able to go down with him on this trip to build some very specific monic content where, you know, I could geek out and nerd out about the fly lines in front of the camera and kind of run through mm. the very specifics of each line. And, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great trip and just feel like, you know, every time you get a new experience like that, it just really helps you grow as an angler and help me grow with an even more, you know, firsthand experience of using the variety of saltwater lines that we have. Right. Did you uh, have some action? What were what were the species you guys were getting into? We caught lots of bonefish, um, caught some triggerfish, barracuda. Um, uh-huh. I caught a really, one of my favorite fish from the trip was a horse-eyed yellowtail jack. And I caught oh, wow. that on the Skyline Plus, which is that gel spun core. So, you you know, it's super sensitive and you get like immediate hook sets. And I was actually throwing a, a popper out there you know, hitting mm. some structure along the coral because they like to kind of hang out in those ambush points. And and then I saw the shark coming by. It was just a nurse shark, I think, and had these two big yellow-tailed jacks riding right on its tail. And they do uh, that because as the shark spooks up the little bait fish, they'll swim oh, right, right. And clean up the, the smaller <laughs> fish. So I threw a popper right over them, and this one just comes up and, boom, just smacks it right on top of the water. And Ripped me oh, wow. out to my backing, you know, immediately, and I'm fighting him, fighting him, and finally getting back to the fly line takes me right back out to my backing, and I was at that point I was getting scared that he'd get eaten by a shark because there's so many predators there, you know, big barracuda, huh. sharks everywhere, and luckily was able to land him, and that was my top, I think my top experience there, you know, it was just a such a cool experience, especially you know seeing a fish like that eat on the top water. It just, yeah, it's hard to beat that, but the bone fishing is, is amazing there. You know, it's just the clarity of the water, you know, we were at Acklands, um, which is a smaller island, just like kind of in the Southern end of the Bahamas chain, but it's almost like a bat. If you think of it kind of like a backwards sea, so like the islands kind of the sea and then that gap in between the sea they have about 500 square miles of flats there Mm. which is just you know amazing for fishing opportunities and you know you could spend your whole life there and still probably not touch everything yeah were you guys at a a lodge there uh yeah so it's kind of a, a like a lodge but also kind of a little bit like a not quite a diy setup but it's called selena point adventures angling and they've got a really nice setup there. It's a, you know, a, a smaller house where you walk in. You know, beautiful dining room. Um, great hosts and Alicia and Ryan Davy. He runs the, that operation there, and he mm-hmm. he guides for Steelhead in the OP for half the year, and then the other half he'll go down and run this lodge in, in the Bahamas. And uh, you know, can't say enough great things about that place. Just you know great setup amazing delicious food you know fresh fish pretty much every day and 
um, you're about you can actually hike down 20 minutes just and go to the water and that was a spot where we would see trigger fish every single day you know barracuda um, you know that's where the jacks always come through there and there's just so much opportunity and if you're looking for something that's you know not quite like the high-end lodge where you feel like you're in a you know yeah big resort and you have a guy that's taking you out every single day and holding your hand like this place is a little bit more like geared towards the angler that you know is a avid fisherman somebody that you know can go out kind of by themselves and you know it's nice because you have the local guides there giving you intel um but then you might just get dropped off and kind of walk on your own for you know a couple hours just looking the flats and to me that's a little bit more rewarding when you get to kind of do it yourself, start to finish. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you walk with the guide, you're going to see about 10 times as many fish because they know exactly, you know, their eyes are just so much more in tune for seeing the fish in that water. Um, like the bonefish are incredibly stealthy. Just with that silver, it's almost like a mirror. So they reflect their surroundings in a sense. And unless, you know, you can see them moving, it's almost, it's very hard to spot them. Um, That's cool. That's, I know oh, this is amazing. Just, yeah, so that was an amazing trip, and and you know for scenarios like that, the the clear line pays dividends. And I was hoping to get a shot at a permit because they do see them quite often, but unfortunately, I didn't get to see a permit on the trip. But you can also see tarpon permit. You know, a huge the just the amount of life there is, it's amazing. You know, sea turtles everywhere exactly now you're in that's one of the cool yeah i mean we've talked a little bit about the the bahamas i, I guess we've had some episodes um you know uh, oliver white who i think i'm gonna we're gonna hopefully get on again here way back in 69 he talked about he went into the bahamas and i think he might not be um i'm not even sure if he has his lodge still there or not but um mm. but no this is this is good i i want to start to uh take it out of here with the uh, the top fly challenge uh okay we've got this thing going here so this is uh this is really simple for you, um, but uh, and a little bit not as simple for me. But uh, at wetflyswing.com slash top fly, we're gonna have a page there where people can enter what they feel is their you know their top fly, their the fly they 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 could only have one fly to use. And so for you, we're kind of talking salt water here. So what would be that that one fly, that top fly, if you could only pick one? Hmm, that's a tough call. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not you know. I, Living in Colorado, I don't get to get out to the salt as much as I'd like to. Well, well let's the do this trip, then, Jarvis. Was, let's do this. Yeah, sorry. You can ahead. say for the trip, or if you wanted to take this too, we could definitely go to whatever if you want to go fresh, because probably more people are going to talk fresh anyways, but I was going to leave it open. So if you want to if you want to throw out your one uh, trout fly, for sure we'd take that as well. Definitely. So I'd say for a trout fly, um, gold-ribbed hair's ear, I just yep. clean up. It's just such a versatile fly. You know, you can fish it everywhere. Um, it's the standard you know, old school fly, and it just gets the job done. Is that a Euro? Are you doing like a Euro style or just old school? Just old school. I'm an old, yeah. you know, old school in that sense. I'm not a, I haven't gone into the, the world of Euro nymphing quite yet. Um, you know, I can yeah. see how effective it is, especially, you know, for competitions and whatnot. But yeah. Do you think everybody eventually touches on, if not goes all in, but touches on a little Euro? Do you think it's one of those? I always compare it to the spay. I remember back in the day before I did the spay rod, right? I, I remember mm -hmm. I was a single hand steelhead guy 
And uh, and somebody told me along the way, like, you're going to get into Spain. And I never thought I would. And of course you did. Do you think Euro is <laughs> the same way where everybody eventually is going to be getting into Euro? I don't think so. I think that there's a lot to like learn from that Euro nymphing style. And I think for specific, um, say, scenarios, like some fast moving pocket water or some holes that are pretty deep, but you know, you have a raging top current then that you really can't beat that you know presentation so yeah. i think it's something that all trout fishermen can learn from um you know but for me i just i really enjoy the visual aspect of seeing you know that indicator go down that drive dropper just get submerged so something about that for me i think is just always kind of going to be where i'm at but i've definitely taken from that and tried to use some of those tight line techniques for you know specific scenarios where it's going to be a lot more beneficial um and then i gotta say for the trip the gotcha shrimp pattern just absolutely crushed it on those bone fish it was a tan body and the gold sparkle the gold sparkle flash off the tail was just it, it drove those fish crazy so if anybody's going nice. bone fishing definitely get some get you some of those gotcha flies yeah, the gotchas. That's cool. All right, good. So, so just to, to reiterate this, this top flight challenge, which we're just kicking off here, um, wetflyswing.com slash top fly. And, and anybody can enter. They just go in there and enter their top fly. And the cool thing about this is, is we're going to pick a few winners and we're going to hand out some boxes of flies nice. to people. To, to win so whoever whoever uh whoever gets their uh their fly chosen uh chooses the you know and i haven't even chosen my yet right if i had to pick one fly so this this will be a this will be a fun one and uh so good so we'll leave that there and um we're gonna we're gonna keep that that little challenge going as we go but yeah as we start to take it out of here um i mean i know we've obviously touched on kind of all over the place on the lines but but again take it back to that person that's needs new line maybe they've got an old an old line that's all cracked and they've been using for a little bit too long and they're thinking about getting a new line any other words of advice on on choosing a line you know if they're just to go to say uh, you know, a website and look at some lines or, or your website, any other tips here? Um, yeah, you know, I would say, you know, understanding what rod you're pairing that line with, and then also understanding what kind of style fishing you're doing the most or you enjoy the most. So we do have lines that are very great dry fly lines. So if you're somebody that loves to throw dry flies, you know, we've got a line specifically geared towards that. Um, if you're somebody that you know, it's primarily nymphing and throwing streamers and, you know, dry droppers, then the, the icicle is going to be a perfect line for that. If you're somebody that's, you know, looking for something on the little bit lower price point, but something that's going to do everything well, you know, you can't go wrong with the one-on-one. And, you know, like I said, if you ever on the website have any questions that come up, like we're always there to help and we really love being able to help out those customers. So, if you have anything that comes up, just give us a call and we'll always be happy to help you. Perfect. Perfect. Good. Well, well, before we get out of here, I want to take it out. We, we mentioned uh, basketball at the start, so I, I got I to <laughs> dig into a little sports here. So what was your what was your position in basketball? I played, I started off actually as a forward because I was a little bit more of a chubbier kid. Um, and then I just started to really fall in love with basketball and I would go to this uh, like training program where they had, you know, constantly going to basketball camps and by the time I was a about a sophomore I started to actually play some point guard just because I was had the ball handling down and that was kind of my role sophomore in high school so, yep sophomore in high school so sophomore junior and senior year I 
I played kind of point guard, shooting guard. Okay, and you're like, what are you? Are you about like 6'2"? Uh, 6'1". Yeah, yeah, 6'1". 6'2 would be pushing it a little bit. I'd like... <laughs> So you're playing. Uh, so you start out forward early on, and then you moved into point guard. Did you did you play any college ball? Unfortunately, not. You know, I played the intramural. I you know had yeah. a little bit of a temptation just to try to walk on. Um, you know, for yeah. the, the buffs would be. I mean, it'd be amazing. But um, I kind of you know you get swept up in the college experience and <laughs> yeah. Do that. I could see you could see that you could have been like the Rudy, right? The the football, yeah. guys, right? the same sort of thing. You you were <laughs> sitting exactly. on the bench for the whole uh, you know, your whole four years, and then you get that one shot to that play, shot. But, which yeah. would be cool. Which would actually be cool, right? Yeah, I feel really lucky that you know I got to go to such a small you know public school. You know, there's obviously pros and cons, but one great pro is especially for the sports teams. You know, it's like everybody can get included a little bit more, and um, you know, like my senior year like at that point i got to play like the whole game like i would get subbed out for maybe like a, a minute breather but that was just an awesome experience because you know you start to get to some of those really big high schools and you know it, it can you know start to lose minutes you know people are a lot taller than you and whatnot and it, the competition goes up so um yeah you know that's I, it yeah i had a great experience playing basketball in high school yeah yeah, that's it. Uh, no, it's a uh, basketball is a great sport. It's uh, it takes a toll on your body a little bit, especially your knees, yeah. right? If you're doing a lot of oh, jumping, yeah. but uh, lots of diving on the floor. <laughs> yeah, exactly, diving on the floor. So, what was it? Give us a quick little. Did you have a basketball memory? Like one memory of some play or some game? I remember mine. I had a. I had a. Um, uh, like three quarters of the end of the game, right? Uh, uh-huh. I threw it from three quarters. The other free throw line with one hand and boom, swish. No way. Oh my God, uh, that's amazing. But it was it was one second after the buzzer, so it didn't count, <laughs> but it was still cool. What, what was your, did cool. you have any, any moments that stick out? Uh, one game my senior year, I just it was just one of those days where you're on and I hit seven threes that game and it was just like mm. boom, boom, boom. And Wow. That was just such a cool experience. And then, you know, reading the small town paper the next day and, you know, it's Jarvis hits seven threes and puts the Pittsfield Tigers away. Like, it's it's just Pittsfield Tigers. (laughs) What'd you have? Did you have like 30 that night? Yeah, I had like 34 and then seven rebounds and four assists or something like that. So it was a a good game. Yeah. Well, here's a fun fact I heard about. I love this one. For any of the kids out there that are listening to basketball, it's uh, so Wilt Chamberlain, right? Old school. Mm-hmm. He, I think he still has the record, right? I think he scored 100 points in one in one NBA game. Yeah. Um, but the fun fact about that is obviously it's Wilt Chamberlain. He was this giant person and stuff and player. But that game he shot, the reason he went over 100 was he shot all of his free throws. For the I think it was the only time he did it, but he shot them uh, granny style. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. So That's, it just shows you, remember, Rick Barry was the greatest free throw yep. shooter of all time is Rick Barry. It just shows you it's one of those funny, funny, fun facts because nobody shoots granny style, even though it's the most effective. Most and effective. and they even, they've, they've even done stats on it. Some of these teams, like if, if the team would shoot granny style, the team, if they all did it, that team would win the NBA championship every single <laughs> year. But nobody does it. They're just afraid to have the publicity of them shooting granny style, I guess, these days. But. I always get such a good kick out of, you know, occasionally you'll see a a big man now in the NBA who just really struggles with the three free throws. And then you'll see maybe like a game or two, they'll try some granny style and, you know, they make them a lot more frequently. (laughs) 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, and I got one other. This is my other. I'm kind of going on a random uh, tangent here, but so TV shows. I'm not sure if you watched a lot of TV when you were a kid uh, or in your life at all. What would you have? One TV show that sticks out from your, uh, you know, your childhood. Hmm. From my childhood. Or did you watch much TV? I guess uh, maybe even that time you're young enough. You might not even had the old TV. You know, as you know it, as you think of the like the 80s, 90s TV, right? Yeah, totally. I actually. I was just thinking, cause yeah, growing up, like in New Hampshire, especially, it's like we're always running around the woods and stuff. But I watched my yeah. fair share of TV, and I'll never forget watching The Simpsons for the first time, and then oh, watching The yeah. Simpsons all throughout my childhood. Um, that yeah. was kind of just one of those shows. It's almost like nostalgic in a way, and I yeah. still love it to this day. And I so, know Simpsons was kind of my childhood go-to. There and you then, go. Just recently, I just got sucked into Ozarks, and that's been blowing my mind lately. <laughs> oh, oh, Ozarks is uh, what's his name? The, who's the actor? Jason main, uh, Bateman. You know, I have a oh, I have a funny thing, uh, like not funny, but it's a weird thing with Ozarks. I actually started. Remember, I heard about. It, I was like, okay, Ozarks, and I started watching like the first few episodes. Mm-hmm. And man, it's kind of crazy. I had to like literally turn it off, just because it was like, wow, I couldn't. I was I was like having nightmares. Yeah, no, it's a lot of it's really scary, you know, in that sense. And something of like, I think they just do such a good job at like leaving every episode with a cliffhanger. It's yeah, like, I'll, I'll just get, I'll be like, I know, I know I need to go to bed. So I wake up at 6am and get to work, but I'm like, but what happens, you know, and I end up watching another and staying up till midnight and so the story goes. <laughs> so that's it. So so let's try to create a cliffhanger for this. So if we were going to take one piece out of this episode, put it at the start, and it's our cliffhanger to get people to listen to this episode today. What what, what do you think it would be if we look back at what we talked about? Do we have a, hmm. do we have a cliffhanger, or do, you want to, or do you want to make one up now? <laughs> I'm trying to think. I feel like we were pretty straightforward with the information, but maybe like um like see the different or see the advantage of the clear for yourself or. Something like that, or you know, <laughs> right? Like, what is the clear exactly? That, that, that actually yeah. is a good. What one. advantage like, does the clear give you? Dot dot dot. The clear line, because nobody. <laughs> there you go. So, because nobody has there, you don't. The clear dry line is still like if if you didn't hear about it here today, you might not. Right? A lot of people probably don't know about a clear dry line for trout. Right? Is that the case? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't even know that we exist at Monic. You know, it's we've been around for a long time, but we've always kind of. You know, it's been an up and down throughout the years, but just really like within the past five, six years, everything we have is just, you know, top of the line fly lines that, you know, would stand up to compete with any lines on the market. And I'm some, I'm really trying to work on just growing the brand awareness. And we kind of, you know, with Bob being an older gentleman, being the old, the owner, um, kind of got lost in that whole digital wave and just never had much of a presence in yeah. the way of marketing. So like, I'll talk to people all the time that go like, Monic, you're in Boulder, Colorado. I had no idea that there was a fly line company local to me. And at that point, then they're like, oh, I would love to buy a line. Just, you know, who wouldn't want to support a local American-made company? So I hope people listen to this. If, you know, first time ever hearing about Monic, you know, please, you know, check out the website. We've got lines for everybody um, and we'll have some full sync lines too. So if that's your jam, we'll, we'll get you covered soon. (laughs) <laughs> perfect perfect that's a perfect uh segue out of here so yeah this has been this has been good i think uh you know we'll we'll leave uh put some stuff in the show notes for links and things like that and if they want to take it deeper um yeah i think this is a good intro to uh, a little bit about what you have and it's been good to connect with you and learn a little bit about your uh your background here and 
and we'll keep in touch. So yeah, until uh, until we dig back into it, Jarvis, I appreciate uh, everything you're doing out there and looking forward to staying in touch. Of course. You know, I really appreciate you having me on, Dave, and uh, definitely have to link up, maybe get some fishing in sometime this summer. Or we'll get something planned out. And uh, yeah, again, I can't really thank you enough for having me on. And, you know, I love the show and uh, I look forward to continue to listen in all the great podcasts you come nice. out with. So thank you, Dave. Awesome, man. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Talk soon. So there you go. Fly lines, fly lines 101. It's all good. Always good to learn a little bit more about that thing that we're flinging around the air and swinging back and forth. Uh, wetflyswing.com slash 328. 328 will get you any of the links, probably some bonus videos, and and hopefully a random, uh, a random nugget in there. So check it out. Uh, Dom's doing a good job putting these together, so would love it if you had a chance to click over uh, and check out the blog. Got a quick listener spotlight before we get out of here. Uh, Raphael Victor, uh, Raphael checked in with me on Instagram, and he uh, he highlighted that uh, that episode we had of uh, New Mexico with uh, Taylor Strite. That was a good one. Taylor broke down some good stuff. Uh, if you haven't caught that one, um, took us back to uh, the, the 60s in Woodstock, and then we dug into the Rio Grande and some of the good stuff uh, that they have going there. I definitely love this one. It was old school and classic, uh, just the way uh, that I like to do it sometimes. Also, uh, heads up, we got the fly tying, uh, the top fly challenge. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash top fly and submit your number one fly. We want to hear it. We want to get this uh, this list out there and you get a chance to win a little bit of swag. A little bit of swag if you enter. Uh, Jackson is providing this right now. Uh, if, you, if you jump in there and just enter that fly, you can enter two if you want as well. I'm going to get out of here and get on to the next one. Hope you have a good day. Hope you have a good night or good morning. See you online or hopefully see you on the water this summer. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.